0: This is Space Time Series 25, Episode 108, for broadcast on the 12th of October, 2022. Coming up on Space Time... Stunning new images of the Jovian ice moon Europa. NASA's SpaceX Crew-5 launches to the International Space Station. And Iran claims it's launched a space tug capable of moving small satellites into different orbits. All that and more coming up on Space Time... NASA's Juno spacecraft has now completed its close flyby of the Jovian ice moon Europa. In the process, it's captured some stunning close-up images which are actually raising more questions than they're answering. The new high-resolution observations, taken at an altitude of just 358 kilometres, are showing detailed views of a puzzling region of the moon's heavily fractured icy surface. It was the closest any spacecraft had been to Europa since Galileo came within 351 kilometres of the Moon back in January in the year 2000. And the new images are exposing new information about the crisscross network of grooves and double ridges, pairs of long parallel lines indicating elevated features in the ice, and some weird looking stains, possibly linked to something from below erupting out onto the surface. NASA's lead co-investigator Heidi Becker says the new data is unlocking an incredible level of detail. She says the features are so intriguing, understanding how they formed and how they connect to Europa's history, is telling scientists about the internal and external processes shaping the icy moon's crust. The Europa flyby has modified Juno's trajectory, reducing the time it takes to orbit Jupiter from 43 down to 38 days. Juno was launched back in August 2011, achieving Jovian orbit insertion in July 2016. The 3,625 kilogram spacecraft is studying the chemical composition of Jupiter's immense atmosphere and cloud structure, peering deep below the obscuring cloud tops to probe the convection currents and thermal engines driving Jupiter's atmospheric circulation patterns, and the spectacular surface weather features, cyclonic storms and iconic salmon and cream coloured bands. Juno is also measuring Jupiter's gravitational field in order to better understand the internal structure of the solar system's largest planet as well as its magnetic field, polar magnetosphere and auroral activity. Jupiter contains more mass than the rest of our solar system other than the Sun combined. Juno was placed into a highly elongated polar orbit especially designed to avoid as much of Jupiter's damaging radiation belts as possible. This allows the spacecraft to swoop down and skim just 3,400 kilometres above the swirling Jovian cloud tops, before being taken back out again to more than 8.1 million kilometres. Last year Juno undertook a close flyby of the solar system's largest moon Ganymede, and it will undertake the first of two flybys of the Jovian volcanic moon Io next year. Io is a fascinating world, the most volcanic place in the solar system. And it's got an interesting link to Hollywood. Io was the original name chosen for the Hollywood blockbuster movie Alien. Unfortunately, the film was released in the same year as the movie 10. And the producers didn't want to confuse the two. Getting back to Europa for now, and Europa is the solar system's sixth largest moon, with about 90% the equatorial diameter of Earth's moon. The frozen world has a salty global liquid water ocean deep below a kilometers thick icy crust. The water is kept liquid, despite the Moon's extreme distance from the Sun, by the constant flexing of the planet as it orbits around Jupiter. Known as tidal flexing, this bending of the Moon generates heat, and that heat's enough to keep the Moon's subsurface water supply liquid. In fact, Europa has more liquid water than all the Earth's oceans combined. And that's raising speculation that maybe, like Earth, there could be life below the icy crust of Europa. Only time will tell. This report from NASA TV.
2: The search for life beyond Earth begins with understanding life on our home planet. And that story, the story of life on Earth, may have begun in our oceans. And that's because, of course, if we've learned anything about life on Earth, it's at where you find the liquid water, you generally find life. So what if I told you that there is an ocean out there beyond Earth? an ocean in our solar system that has been in existence for billions of years. It's an ocean that is perhaps ten times as deep as Earth's ocean. It's an ocean that is global and may contain two to three times the volume of all the liquid water on Earth. It's an ocean that exists beneath the icy shell of Jupiter's moon Europa. Do think we know that Europa's ocean exists? Well, it's a combination of using telescopes on the ground and having spacecraft that have flown by Europa and collected data about the surface, about the interior structure, and about the magnetic field around Europa. And the combination of those data sets leads us to a high degree of confidence that this global liquid water H2O ocean is there today and it's been there for much of the history of the solar system. We used to think that in order for a world to be habitable, you had to be at just the right distance from the sun or or whatever your star was, such that you could have a liquid water ocean on the surface. Now, along with liquid water, life as we know it needs two other keystones. The first is the building blocks for life, the, the stuff you find in rocks. And the second is some form of energy to help power life. And here's where Europa is a real game changer. It is far, far out from the sun, and yet it's got this liquid water ocean. And the reason that Europa has liquid water is because it's orbiting Jupiter. And the tidal tug and pull causes Europa to flex up and down and all that tidal energy turns into mechanical energy, which turns into friction and heat that helps maintain this liquid water ocean beneath an icy shell. Along with helping maintain liquid water, we think that tidal energy may also allow that ocean to interact with rocks on Europa's seafloor. And it may even give rise to things like hydrothermal vents, which could help provide not just the building blocks for life, but also the energy for life. The question of whether or not life exists beyond Earth, the question of whether or not biology works beyond our home planet is one of humanity's oldest and yet unanswered questions. And for the first time in the history of humanity, we have the the tools and technology and capability to potentially answer this question. And we know where to go to find it. Jupiter's ocean world, Europa.
0: This is space time. Still to come, NASA's SpaceX Crew Five launches to the International Space Station. And three Russian cosmonauts returned safely to Earth after their six month stint on station. All that and more still to come on space time. The SpaceX Dragon Capsule Endurance has successfully docked to the space-facing forward port of the Harmony module on the International Space Station. Docking came two days after launching aboard a Falcon 9 rocket from Space Launch Complex 39A at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida.
3: Crew-5 displays are configured for launch.
1: Copy, and Nicole, Josh, Koichi, and Anna, on behalf of the entire team at SpaceX, Good
0: luck, Godspeed, and enjoy the ride.
4: And those words from Nicole Mann, the first female commander of a dragon. Upon liftoff, you'll hear a number and letter combinations, which mark different abort zones throughout the flight, as well as some performance calls. The first two are 1A and 1B, and those signify the first stage and will last up to the very north Tip of North Carolina. The next are 2A through 2E, and those will come into play once the second stage kicks in, lasting from the top of North Carolina all the way to the tip of Newfoundland in the Northern Atlantic. You'll also hear a spot that is to be avoided, and you might hear Shannon or forward to Shannon, and that actually refers to Shannon Ireland, meaning they would target off the east coast of Ireland if they were later in that second stage and did need to abort for some reason. So the next major milestone that we're looking towards will come just seconds from now, and that will be when engine chill begins on the first stage of the engine.
3: That's right. So engine chill is basically when we take a little bit of that super chilled, densified liquid oxygen and we flow it through the turbo pumps of the Merlin M1D engines on the first stage. This helps to prepare the turbo pumps and avoid any thermal shock to the hardware when they see the full flow of liquid oxygen during ignition. Uh, we're also expecting the occlusion uh, of crop load for the RP1 on first stage to wrap up at T-minus 6 minutes. The load continues to be underway on both first and second stages, again wrapping those uh, at T-minus 3 minutes and 2
4: And after that, we'll hear a number of call outs related to Dragon's flight computer. Some will be there. Stage one
5: engine chill has started.
4: And you did just hear that call out that stage one engine chill has begun. Coming up in just about 45 seconds, we should expect to hear that RP1 load is complete. RP-1 load is that densified kerosene or rocket fuel that will help propel the crew into orbit. All of that RP-1 is loaded into the first stage, and we are standing by to hear
3: that it was loaded into the second stage as well. Again, we expect that to wrap at T minus six minutes. Stage Uh, one, RP-1 load is complete. Great news there, the RP-1 load is now
4: finished. And coming up, we'll also hear the call for Dragon to configure for terminal count and then it will be transferred over to internal power. And then we'll hear that propellant tanks on Falcon 9 are getting ready to pressurize, which helps add some additional rigidity and structural support as we get ready for
3: strong back retract. That strong back will retract a couple of degrees at first, and then we will see it swing open completely uh, just shortly or at the moment of the
1: Falcon 9 tanks will be pressurizing for strong back retract. Dragon
5: is in, configure for terminal count.
3: All right, there we heard that call. Dragon onboard computers have now taken control of the vehicle. As I mentioned before, first stage locks or liquid oxygen loading is underway, and will wrap up at T minus three minutes. Second stage will wrap its locks load at T minus two minutes. Launch teams continue to report no issues, and everything remains green, and for an on-time launch. Lockback is part of the transporter erector, and the transporter erector is what provides uh, the liquids, the gases, the electrical connections to the vehicle. It's also what we use to integrate the vehicle in its horizontal position. Stage one, LOX load is complete.
4: And there we go. All of the oxidizer loaded on stage one. Soon, we'll hear that stage two LOX load is complete, and that will be the last propellant callout we'll hear today.
5: Dragon is in terminal count and is on internal power.
3: All right, there we heard the good news that Dragon is now on internal power.
5: Dragon is in auto idle. Stage two locks load is complete.
3: There we heard the call out. Falcon 9 is now completely fueled. Wow. All of its propellants
0: are yeah, starting. Loud landing.
3: Nearly 1 million pounds of liquid oxygen and RP-1 now onboard Falcon 9. It is fully loaded and ready for launch.
4: And coming up at T minus one minute, we'll hear that Dragon is in countdown. Its flight computer will switch to countdown mode, and we'll hear that the flight termination system on Falcon 9 is MTS
1: armed. is armed. Falcon 9 is in startup and is now controlling.
4: And there you heard it. Dragons, dragon in countdown. Dragon's flight computer in countdown. The flight termination system now armed. she
1: should
3: get the final go for launch from SpaceX launch director Mark Siltus. Dragon Sultus.
1: SpaceX. Godspeed. Go for launch.
3: SpaceX Dragon. Go for launch.
4: SpaceX C-minus reports go. Seconds. Crew reports go.
1: 10, 9, Eight, Eight, seven, six, six, six five, five, four, four, four three, three, two. three, two, one. Munition
3: pitches full power and oh, lifts up. Right. It's into space.
1: Stage one propulsion is nominal.
3: Vehicle is pitching downrange. We're now at 35 seconds into the fifth rotational crew mission on board Dragon and Falcon 9. Stage one, throttle down. Falcon 9 engines
4: throttling down to help pass through the period of maximum
3: dynamic pressure. This period is known as Max-Q, and once the vehicle there we just heard that the vehicle is now traveling faster than the speed of sound. Once through Max-Q, we'll throttle those Merlin engines back up. Max-Q. Stage one,
4: throttle up. Stage one, throttle up.
3: Copy, one Bravo.
4: That call out for one Bravo means we're in the second and final abort mode for the first stage, continuing to get good performance. The crew is already pulling over two G's, and next up is going to be a couple of events in rapid succession. First will be engine chill on the second stage and back that engine. Has And there you heard that call out. And then we'll have MECO or main engine cutoff where the nine engines igniting will cut off in preparation for second stage separation. Then we'll see the single Merlin vacuum engine on the second stage ignite and continue to carry the crew five astronauts to orbit.
3: Just like we did on first stage, that MVAC chill is intended to help pre-chill the hardware prior to the full flow of that densified liquid oxygen. Stage one, throttle down. At this point in time, those nine Merlin engines are beginning to throttle down in preparation for MECO or main engine cutoff. Standing by for MECO. And MECO. Stage two alpha. And me- stage separation confirmed. Copy, two alpha. <laughs> By the loud cheer behind us here at Mission Control Hawthorne. The second stage is lit and continuing to carry the crew five astronauts into orbit. First stage making its way back to Earth. We will be attempting to land it on our drone ship, which today we are using just read the instructions.
5: Acquisition signal, Bermuda.
4: And we did hear that acquisition of the ground station in Bermuda. The first stage is continuing to make its way back to Earth, and the second stage is going Guardian, to continue. SpaceX
3: trajectory nominal.
4: Another good call, trajectory nominal. Confirmation there from Commander Nicole Mann. Second stage is going to continue firing until a little over eight minutes into the flight, really doing the heavy lifting now,
3: getting the crew into orbit. Everything continues to look nominal on both first and second stages. As I mentioned before, the first Stage will be making uh, a landing on one of our drone ships, which is currently parked a couple hundred miles off the coast of Florida in the Atlantic Ocean. Dragon, SpaceX. Good confirmation there that we have good trajectory. The
4: second stage now traveling over 5,400 miles per hour. Crew is pulling a little more than 1g right now. That's going to continue to ramp up, peaking just before we get to second stage cutoff here
3: in just a few minutes from now. First stage will be performing two separate burns. A re-entry burn, where we reignite three of the Merlin M1D engines on the first stage. We ignite the center engine into radial engines to help slow it down as it re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. And then the second, final burn, and that will be the landing burn on our drone ship.
4: And the single M-back engine that you see... The single MVAC engine that is continuing to fire. We did hear another call out that trajectory is nominal. Crew heading in the direction that they are supposed to be. AFCM. This single engine can produce over 220,000 pounds of thrust in the vacuum of space. Now over 200 kilometers in altitude. We will start to hit events now in a rapid succession as the first stage continues to make its way back to Earth and the second stage continues its burn. Just a
3: couple minutes left in that burn. We are coming up to the re entry burn, which, as I said before, we ignite three of the nine Merlin engines to help slow the booster down as it re enters the dense part of the Earth's atmosphere. As the entry burn completes, we'll be in the stage final one entry burn startup. There we stage heard the call out. You can there see it on your screen that that entry burn has been initiated, and as that entry burn completes, we'll be in the final um,
4: different abort phases here shortly, which essentially correspond to areas along the
3: very northeastern seaboard of the U.S.
1: Stage and then, one entry burn shutdown.
3: Everything continues to look nominal for both the first and second Stage
1: stages.
3: And.
4: The crew, with the second stage still attached, is now traveling over
3: 13,000 miles per hour. We're about 10 seconds away from SICO-1. <laughs> Copy,
1: Shannon. Shannon, stage that call-out
4: call for Shannon Ireland, indicative of our final abort zone. After this, we'll see second stage shut off, and we'll be listening for confirmation of a good orbit, which tells us the crew and Dragon are
3: exactly and where they need to be. Double. There we had confirmation that the embank- one landing burn has shut down simultaneously uh the entry Dragon, SpaceX, nominal orbit insertion
4: and you heard that call for a good insertion we will coast for yeah, a few minutes
3: stage one landing like deploy and as you can hear by the clapping and cheering behind me falcon nine has landed on our drone ship just read the instructions parked off the coast Detective of florida, florida signal. Take. And again, that
4: second stage separation will be coming up just a couple of minutes now. We do coast for a few minutes after second engine cutoff to allow any rates to, or motion to dampen out and settle. We did hear that the crew has been successfully inserted into a good orbit. Again, the crew is still attached to the
3: second stage. We are expecting stage separation to occur in just over a minute from now, about one minute and eight seconds. And that's when the, uh, excuse me, when the second stage will separate from the Dragon trunk. The Dragon trunk is the part of hardware where we are able to house the uh, cargo that is able to be exposed to the vacuum of space, as well as the solar panels which help power Dragon while it is on orbit. After stage separation, we will have nose cone deployment. Now that Dragon is in the vacuum of space, we're able to, we will be able to open the nose cone and expose that forward hatch, which is what is utilized to dock uh, autonomously with the International Space Station.
4: And that nose cone does stay closed for the flight uphill to help protect all of the guidance, navigation and control sensors. We are standing by for second stage separation. And there is separation. Dragon separation confirmed.
5: On behalf of the entire launch and
4: recovery team, it is an honor.
3: A pleasure to be a part of this mission with you. Awesome. Thank you so much to the Falcon team.
0: Woo! That was a smooth ah! ride up here. SpaceX Crew-5 mission carried four new crew members to the orbiting outpost for a planned 145-day expedition. They'll join three new crew members who arrived last week aboard the Russian Soyuz M-22 capsule from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in the Central Asian Republic of Kazakhstan. In a sign of continued cooperation in space station operations, despite the worsening situation back on Earth in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Dragon crew included a Russian cosmonaut, just as the Soyuz flight had included an American astronaut. These space swapsies ensure that both Russian and American crews retain an ability to operate each other's spacecraft in the event of an emergency or when one type of vehicle has been grounded for an extended period of time. This is space time. Still to come, Iran claims it's launched a space tug capable of moving small satellites into different orbits. And later in the science report, A strange blue goo like living organism discovered living on the seafloor of the Caribbean. All that and more still to come on space time. Three Russian cosmonauts have returned safely to Earth aboard their Soyuz MS-21 capsule, landing under three bright orange and white parachutes on the Kazakhstan steppe, about 150 kilometres southeast of Zegaskan. The Soyuz MS-21.
5: We see the removal of the thermal protection.
1: The pressure is descending, excellent. The crew uh, under the command of Ala Gartemia reporting uh, that the crew is feeling great. The main chute has been deployed, a clear sky awaiting uh, the arrival uh, of the crew. The uh, familiar beeping of the radio beacon uh, on the Soyuz, uh, providing telemetry back uh, to the Antonov 26 fixed wing aircraft, that data being relayed to the Russian control team outside of Moscow.
5: The crew feels great. The seats have been armed nominally.
1: We're
3: seeing one kilometer.
1: Everything uh, proceeding uh, by the book. The Soyuz descending to its target. The Rosavia search and recovery forces are in place. The Mi-8 helicopters flying in a uh, circular oval pattern around the landing zone, awaiting the arrival of the crew. Ale Gartemiev continuing uh, to report back uh, that the crew is feeling great. 300 meters for the altimeter. 300 meters off the ground. (laughs) Clear skies, temperatures in the mid-40s Fahrenheit. Awaiting the arrival of Artemyev, Matveyev, and Korsakov, just minutes away from wrapping up 195 days away from the planet. So, crew feels great, we are ready for landing.
5: Getting ready for landing. Copy, 250 meters, ready for landing.
1: All is going very well. The Soyuz just seconds away from touchdown. And touchdown. Touchdown confirmed at 5.57 a.m. Central Time, 6.57 a.m. Eastern Time, 4.57 p.m. at the landing site. The soft landing engines firing just a second or two before touchdown. Artemyev, Matveyev, and Korsakov home.
0: The crew had undocked from the International Space Station's Prekal Nadir port some three and a half hours earlier. The team had spent 195 days in orbit, flying up just after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In fact, they made a bit of a surprise when they arrived at the space station wearing yellow and blue jumpsuits, which bore a striking resemblance to the Ukrainian flag. But it turns out sometimes a jumpsuit is just a jumpsuit. In this case, they just happened to be the colours of the cosmonaut training school the three had attended. Helicopter recovery support teams landed minutes after touchdown to help extract the crews from their charred capsule, which the Russian Federal Space Agency Roscosmos had adorned with anti-Ukrainian slogans prior to launch. After post-flight medical exams at the landing site, the cosmonauts were quickly flown to Star City near Moscow for debriefing. Iran claims it's launched a new space tug capable of docking onto small satellites in space and then moving them between orbits. Iranian state media showed images of what they claimed was the Saman suborbital explorer. However, the term suborbital sort of defeats the claim that this thing is capable of moving spacecraft in orbit. What the images were actually showing appears to be a Safir anti-ship cruise missile. It only has a range of around 25 kilometres. Of course, Tehran has a history of making unsupported claims about its space program. These have included some notable pictures of new Iranian spacesuits, which were quickly shown to be nothing more than children's dress-up costumes. So what's really going on? Well, the announcement just happens to come as Tehran's trying to shift attention away from the ongoing demonstrations across the country following the death of 22-year-old female protester Masazina Aminia at the hands of the state's morality police for refusing to wear her headscarf. The Islamic Republic does have a very advanced space program, but despite lots of claims of scientific endeavor, its real purpose is to develop a long range ballistic missile to operate as the delivery system for its clandestine nuclear weapons program. This is Space Time. Time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. Scientists exploring the bottom of the Caribbean have discovered a bunch of strange blue goo-like organisms and they have absolutely no idea what they are. Researchers aboard the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration's flagship exploratory vessel Kinos Explorer say the creatures look like blue massage balls resting motionlessly on the seafloor. Right now their best bet is that there's some kind of blue biomat, a fleshy wart, a new type of sponge, or some soft coral. The critters were discovered by remotely operated underwater vehicles, and the next step will be to collect a sample for a more thorough study in the laboratory. We'll keep you informed. Archaeologists have found that some of the cities of the ancient Maya in Mesoamerica suffered from extremely intense mercury pollution. A report in the journal Frontiers of Environmental Science claims the Maya frequently used mercury and mercury-containing products during their classic period, between the years 250 and 1100. That mercury then leached into the soil and is now so heavy in some places that even today it poses a real potential health hazard to archaeologists. Scientists found concentrations ranging from 0.016 parts per million up to an incredibly intense 17.16 parts per million. Now, for comparison, the toxic effect threshold for mercury in sediments is defined as being one part per million. Sealed vessels filled with elemental liquid mercury have been found at several Maya sites. Archaeologists have also uncovered patios and floor areas as well as walls and ceramics covered in mercury-containing paints. According to Terminator law, Cyberdyme system Skynet became sentient at 2.14am Eastern Daylight Time on August 29, 1997. In the real world, heated debates continuing as to whether or not the first sentient artificial intelligence lifeforms, for want of a better word, have now been created or not. But there's now no debate that the first robot that really looks like a de-skinned Terminator has arrived, thanks to Elon Musk and Tesla. Musk says the 57kg Optimus robotic platform will be capable of understanding complex verbal commands, walk at speeds of 8km per hour, lift more than 20kg, and have human-level hands. The Tesla Bot's hands each offer 11 degrees of freedom derived from six dedicated actuators as well as complex mechanisms that allow the hand to adapt to objects being grasped. The 180cm tall cyborg that Musk had with him lacked any exterior panelling in order to unveil its Tesla-designed actuators which enabled it to walk across the stage.
3: I beg your pardon, but what do you mean, naked?
0: Parts are showing. My Eventually, the androids will feature the same autopilot hardware and software package used in driverless Tesla cars. The humanoid will be equipped with a 2.3 kilowatt-hour battery pack, which integrates various power control systems into a single PCB. Musk says that once it goes into mass production, Optimus would sell for less than twenty thousand US dollars. I wonder if anyone's going to call it chappy. DLOS Inc. must be planning their Westworld host as we speak, and I guess Roombas all over the world are getting nervous. Hasta la vista, baby. Well, as well as Elon Musk's announcement, it's been a busy week in technology, with our technology editor Alex Zaharov-Royt from ITY.com right in the thick of things. Alex says there's a new Kindle Scribe from Amazon. Google are trying new features on Maps, such as Neighbourhood Vibe and Immersive View. And Samsung has their new slidable OLED display for PCs.
5: They have the first slidable display for PCs. Now, now LG did showcase something for phones about a year ago, where this display could roll out, sort of just slide out to be a phone into a handheld tablet. Well, this is a 13-inch display that can slide out to be a 17-inch display. This is something that is an evolution of the foldable displays. It's using the screen's ability to roll up into a scroll or to just, without being a scroll, just roll back behind the the screen of the existing. Display and just slide out gently on rails and turn into this larger display. So, you know, this is there's no price for this yet. We don't know the brightness, we don't know the resolution. We just saw a demo on screen, but uh, it's pretty cool. And the form factors that we're going to see up until the end of this decade and beyond are just going to be mind blowing. And of course, we still have those AR glasses and we have holographic displays that we see in the Marvel Tony Stark style movies. So, you know, the future is very bright with these displays. And uh, I can't wait to be able to have a tablet that. You know, can, without folding, you can just sort of slide into this larger device and easily slide back. Tell me about the new Kindle Scribe. Well, just before I do, I just want to say it's technology launching season. We've had the new iPhones, Google is about to launch the new Pixel 7 and 7 Pro. Uh, there's new devices coming from Microsoft, and so, of course, Amazon has had its 2022 launch of new devices and services. Probably the big headline one is the new Kindle Scribe. It's got the world's first 10.2 inch, 300 pixels per inch adjustable front light black and white display. You can add handwritten sticky notes, you can do journaling draw things but take notes and also you can annotate all your books and you can of course store millions of books in this device there are 1632 and 64 gig versions the pen is battery free and uh, it starts at in Australia, five hundred and forty-nine dollars. It'll be available in November, and it's basically a you know, the merging of a ebook and a tablet. There are others out there. We're also going to see a big trend in, in more of these from other companies. And of course, if you have an iPad, you can take all the notes you want, you know, with styluses and all the rest. They've also got a Fire Cube TV box. So this has uh, got a new octacore 2 gigahertz processor. They I say, it's two times more powerful than their current Fire TV Stick 4K Max. So this means that when you're clicking on things and getting things to load, everything happens much more smoothly and faster. They have a new Alexa Voice Remote Pro, new Echo Studio with better speakers and a new temperature sensor. And in the US, there's a gadget that looks like Sort of like a lamp, sort of thing, which is a sleep sensor. But it also this lamp can simulate the sun coming up in the morning to try and help you wake up more naturally. And Philips you like to be something similar to that now, for the number of years if you have that already in place but Amazon's getting in that game as well and Amazon also has an Amazon Alexa for kids experience so if you've got an existing device you can set time limits you can set the type of content that kids can enjoy through the Alexa. Tell me about
0: Google They're uh, they're trying to be more than just a search engine again.
5: Yeah well Google has for years I mean originally Google just had the 10 blue links and they were very, very powerful because they worked. I mean, they delivered accurate results that really resonated with people, unlike the directories or the earlier search engines that were Yahoo and Alpha Vista and Hot Dog and Wycos and RG's, and many of them that were out there. Now, there are newer search engines today that can look for IoT devices and they'll be, you know, if you're a hacker to find vulnerabilities in all sorts of online appliances that both white and black hat hackers look at that. But Google itself, they've morphed. They've got images. They have direct results. They have maps. They have so many things, but they're trying to become even more. So not only do they have a new neighborhood vibe inside of their maps where you can select a neighborhood, see the most popular spot, come to life thanks to you know, helpful photos and information from the Google Maps community, who have already added more than 20 million contributions to the map each day, according to uh, Google's report here, photos, videos, and reviews. But this is a new visual first experience rolling out globally on Android and iOS, but they're going to enhance it even further with an immersive view. now. I've already used the street view to look at the streets of places, whether it's people's homes or whether it's uh, parts of a city. But I'm going to, so that when I'm there, I already have a sense of familiarity. But they're going to make that even richer and deeper. They say that you can plan ahead and get a deep understanding of a city with this new immersive view. And it combines the aerial views that we're used to, and they'll have traffic, weather, and crowds, so you can see what it's like on a given day. Obviously, the city's probably going to be busier at lunchtime on a weekend than it might be at uh, 10 a.m. on a Monday morning, for example and uh, then you'd be able to also go into buildings so it's not just seeing the street view you can actually walk into a museum or a building or a restaurant if that building owner is giving permission for people's cameras to go in and record but it just means that you can really get to know a place in a lot more detail before you're actually even there and then really feel like you're more than just a tourist when you're in these new places so look, they've also got multi search where you take a picture of a dress and you say well hang on i want that, that's a green dress i want i want to see that in purple or you can take a picture of food for example it'll tell you you where you can buy that food. It'll tell you the uh, recipe that's required to create that food, where you can buy those ingredients. Some of these are launching in the US only, but Google is forever trying to... The telecommunications companies, they don't want to just be a dumb pipe. that just sends information to you. So Telstra and others have always tried to add all these different services. And Google wants to be much more than just a point to other people's information. It wants to be a source of information itself. And they've done that very successfully and they're continuing on that trend. And so you'll see a lot more utility. But if you haven't ever tried the Google Lens capability of the Google app on your iPhone or Android. And I think that probably is on PCs and Macs too if you've got the camera there. But you can take a photo of something. You can point it at a plant, point it at a product, um, at a piece of clothing, at some material, and you can search visually. And that's been around for quite some time, but Google is innovating on top of that. And uh, we are the beneficiaries.
0: That's Alex Harrow-Royd from ITY.com.